Welcome to Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not often have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this program, guests are the experts of their own reality. Lakeisha Lee served as the chair of the nation's first missing and murdered African-American women task force right here in Minnesota. Lee is a dedicated activist and entrepreneur focused on trauma-informed care and a culturally centered approach to healing. She's built a career advocating for solutions to our community's most complex problems, from creating pathways for the unhoused to building financial literacy. Lakeisha also was instrumental in the creation of Britney's Place. I'm super honored to be sitting here with Lakeisha Lee who was the chair of the Missing and Murdered African-American Women Task Force. And for folks that do not know, in 2021, Minnesota became the first state in the nation to create um, the Missing and Murdered African-American Women Task Force and charge that task force with doing some investigative work around creating policies and practices to support Black women and girls um, to ensure those that are experiencing violence um, get the resources and support that they need. Mm -hmm. And Lakeisha has been central to getting this work off the ground, getting us to the legislative report, and now getting the first bill that comes out of the recommendations of that report through the House and now the Senate. So the first question I would love to ask you, Lakeisha, is what role has your testimony played both in 2021 to get the task force enacted and now with House File 55 and Senate File 19 for the creation of an office for missing and murdered African-American women and girls? Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here in person with you today and having this conversation. I have had to talk about the worst day of my life a lot of times. And that's hard. But knowing the reward, the re the risk that I was taking and the payout of that has been cup-filling. Um, talking about my sister being murdered and when she was missing has been my testimony to the legislature and anybody who's in those lawmaking spaces to hear about how this is impacting Black women and girls and how this has changed my life. So being there to testify to this is definitely tough. It's scary. I'm doing it in front of 
people I don't trust. I didn't trust lawmakers. I didn't know who they were. I thank Representative Richardson for calling on me and my family to be at the table and talk about this. Talk about how this has impacted us and how this is changing community in the Twin Cities and how Minnesota can be a blueprint for the whole nation. So us talking about this and bringing this to legislature was the first step on how it was important to have the task force, Mm -hmm. but now to be in the side of going in person to Senate meetings, going in person to House committee meetings, and hearing the different politics and what people are arguing about. And But when I come to the table and talk about how my sister was murdered and the process that we went through as a family, there was no one to call. There was nowhere to go. We had to figure all these things out on our own. So to be able to tell them that feels like a justice almost. I would love for you to share with all our listeners how law enforcement failed to protect and serve your family um, while your sister, Brittany, um, was missing and in the aftermath of her murder. And you can decide in what kind of chronology you want to share this story. Um, but give the audience a chance to know who Brittany was um, that led up to that day or moment. Um, and then what your interactions with law enforcement were like for your family um, as you were struggling to find her. Yes. My sister was a very expressive person. She was the one who would be online posting about, oh, this song resonates with my feelings so much. She always would be posting song lyrics. She would be really putting her heart out there on her social media. So when I noticed and we noticed something was wrong, we immediately went to the police and this was February of 2013. Mm -hmm. Knowing something was wrong was so scary. It was so scary because we didn't see her posting anything online. Okay. Okay. With the absence of that, we knew something was very wrong. And when we reached out to the police, they first said, oh, how old is she? We said, well... She's 18. She just turned 18 within the past six months. And they said, oh, she might just, you know, might have went out of town to Chicago with her boyfriend or something. You know, they do that at this age. Mm. What? Wait a minute. Mm. Where, where are you getting that from, officer? That's, we're the experts on our family. I know my That's sister. Okay, we're the experts. How can you tell me that that's where that's where she is? No, that's not why I'm calling on calling on you guys. We know something's wrong. Mm. If it was just a oh she's with her boyfriend and a quick trip to Chicago, I'd be on ninety four right now, sir. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be reaching out. Mm. But I was reaching, we were reaching out to them because we had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to look, and we needed their support and their resources. And we were not heard at first. We were not. It felt like probably one of the most hopeless moments mm-hmm. in my life to not know where to go, to not know what to do, can't eat, can't sleep, can't mm-hmm. think straight at all. I can't focus on anything. I was working at a credit union during that time, and I remember my boss, I came in that day. My boss brought me down the back elevator, and my family was at the back door. And she told me that she would see me soon. And I didn't understand what was going on. Got in the car, went with my family, thinking that maybe they found my sister. Maybe Mm. they've got her somewhere. And now we've got to pick her up from jail or we've got to go bail her out or something's happening. When I got in the car with my family that day, we drove to the Noka County Police Department only for them to let us know that my, they showed me a couple pictures basically for me to identify for sure, that that was my sister that they had found. When my sister went missing, she had just bought a car. So the car was in was being transferred. The title was being transferred. And we went to that place where she bought the car from. And we said, if you hear anything, you know, let us know. Because that's what what we would do right away, look for a license plate or something to identify her. Well, they found her car and she was inside of her car. Um, What I was looking at were pictures of her blanket that had blood on it, pictures of her clothes. They let me know in that moment that my sister was found dead in her car. I didn't know anything that happened. I didn't know how, where they found her. I didn't know anything. But I was identifying photos of her intimate, personal items. After meeting with them, it felt like my whole world was shattered. I gave them my phone because I did my own research. Mm -hmm. I was looking on Facebook. I was hacking into her phone line. I was, that was my degree, criminal justice. So in private investigation. So I was doing my due diligence on my end to try to find her. I was able to give them my phone so they could take all the evidence that they could off of mine. Let them know that she had a burner phone. Mm. She had two phone lines and a burner phone. I didn't understand what was happening. But after we left the police station, I remember being so angry because I felt like we told you. We called you. We told you something was wrong. We didn't, there's no way to tell. There's no way to go back in time. 
But at that moment, I seriously was confused onto, as to why. Why didn't you listen to us in the beginning? How long was it between when you called and when you went to the Anoka County Police Station? Ten days. Mm. It was February 11th when she went missing. Ten days later, she was identified by me and my family at the Anoka County Sheriff's Department. It was a complete, utter smack in the face. And all they could do was give us their condolences. Even the way that I looked at pictures, intimate pictures of her blanket and identifying things, are you didn't even tell me before that that she was dead. I thought we were picking her up. I didn't want to incriminate her. I'm like, yeah, that's hers. Mm. Well, what are we getting at? Mm. I didn't learn until the end of us meeting that she was not alive any longer. And that's why I was looking at her photos. Because instead of looking at her body, because of the way that she was murdered, it would have probably been a lot more traumatic for me to look at her body directly. So it was a unfortunate way for me to learn and hear about this, but I later, in hindsight, thank them for that. Mm-hmm. I thank them for that because otherwise I'd have the picture of her murdered or looking at her body mm-hmm. associated with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And it, it'd, take a, it'd take a lot more than the therapy and the healing that I've gotten now to take that picture and associate them two together. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that from them. Okay. They they missed the big they missed the big one, but I appreciate that. Okay. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. So after your family got clarity. What did you learn about what happened over those 10 days from the investigation? We learned that my sister had been called over 140 times that weekend by a perpetrator who was harassing her. Harassing her. We learned that her boyfriend at the time was a lot older than her. Learned about their relationship in depth a little bit more. We learned that he, he was the last person that talked to her that day. And he didn't tell us in depth what was going on. He didn't tell us that somebody was harassing her. He didn't give us the full details. The police were able to report that to us. And that's where she went that morning. She told my mom she would be right back. She didn't even get dressed. She just threw her clothes on. She was going to the corner store to go get some smokes really quick and come back home. 
She never came back home. What happened was she went in a, because she was on the phone with her boyfriend the whole time that she was going there. I guess that was a safety blanket for her. But in that moment, she went to Brooklyn Park. She met someone, the person that had been harassing her all weekend. Um, because her boyfriend was pushing her to do this so that she could get her money, get him money for some new Jordans or else he was going to ask his baby mom. Okay. She loved him. She was a caretaker. She's working for the city. That wasn't enough money to pay for her, his Jordans. Mm. We learned at that time how abusive their relationship was. And how he was exploiting her. We had no idea. She had she she protected him that way. Our mom our mom taught us to love really hard. She taught us to love really, really hard. And somebody seen that in her and took mm-hmm. advantage of that. Mm-hmm. They seen that and they took advantage of it as a vulnerability. And it's so, so sad and unfortunate. But we learned in that moment, nobody was going to help us but us as well. Mm-hmm. So we had to deal with A lot of unanswered questions. Why? How? Who was this person who did this? Who would do this to her? That we had no idea. That was a tough time. 2013 was really tough. I was all, at this time, I had told my sister I was pregnant. My daughter's nine years old now. And, um, She'll be 10 this year. She was like, oh, I'm not in trouble with mom anymore. You're, you can take all the heat now. <laughs> mm-hmm. She took it from me at that moment. She's like, great. I'm not going to be in trouble for anything. Mm-hmm. She, she made sure we could, could laugh about it. But I was pregnant during that time. So I had to grieve in a different way. I really had to hold things together for my family. And also try to talk about this in our way that is conducive and productive for community while media, social media mm. is all over the place. They posted my pic- my sister's picture on the front of the Pioneer Press and underneath her face said prostitute in mm. all bold letters. Like, what? This is crazy. She worked at she worked at the park with kids every day. That wasn't her life. That wasn't who she was. That's not who she was known for. And I'll be damned. Excuse me, but I'm I'll be damned if uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press is going to leave that as her legacy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. That's not who we were raised to be, and that's not what she was doing. That's not what that was. She was being exploited. We learned that 
through the investigation. And once they arrested the person who did this to her, we learned even more. Mm. We went to trial. We went to groups. At the, at the St. Paul police station, we went to find a community to understand this horrible pain. That was not easy. It still is difficult. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. What did you learn at trial? Because there were so many unanswered questions, and good, bad, or indifferent, this was the person that was potentially going to answer some of them. Yes. We learned that the person who did this to my sister, he also killed another girl. Within two weeks of my sister being found. We had her funeral. At her funeral, there were officers there. It's a large presence. It was a big, big loss to the community. There were officers there that flew up from Atlanta, Georgia, because that's where this person had came from. Mm. They flew up from Atlanta. They let us know that they found, and in cooperation with Hennepin County Sheriff's Department, they found another body in that they found the person who did it. This was all in one day on my sister's funeral. We learned this news. We learned that he was apprehended. He killed someone else. He even had some of my sister's personal items on him when he was apprehended. He said that he was doing the work of God. We learned some true humility at that time. We had to really take a step back to be able to represent my sister and the other life that was lost. The person that he killed and um, that they found a second body. Uh, he, she was from Atlanta, Georgia, where they ran from. And he killed her once they got to Minnesota. They found her body in her car at the Club Foods parking lot. Because we're a heavy snow state, they plow. And when in February, when they plow, that's where they were finding these cars with women and their bodies being inside the cars murdered. This is how we learned of what he was doing. And that day that he was caught, it was the same day as my sister's funeral. It was early March. There were, we learned that there were no laws. There was nothing to protect us and our family about my sister's legacy. There was nothing to protect our family from us coming home and there being all these cards in the door 
and people on the lawn wanting to get a statement from the media. There was nothing for us at that time. Okay. It was really scary. Okay. So you said that you learned from this gentleman that he believed he was doing the work of God. Did the investigation give any clarity on what that meant from this man's perspective? I have no idea. I mean, the investigation didn't really go into that in depth because I believe because of the fact that it was multiple police departments involved, they just wanted the evidence. They didn't go in depth into the why. Okay. Or a sense of this gentleman's tactics. I feel like they let us know that he had a hard life. Yeah. They let us know that he had a hard life. Like our wow. lives like our lives weren't hard enough at that time. And that was supposed to be an excuse yeah. for this behavior. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was really disheartening to hear those things from a prosecutor. And then they brought us in because the girl, the second body that was found, it was a girl named Clarissa Cook. Okay. from Atlanta, Georgia. Her family could not come here and represent her. We made sure that, me and my mother made sure that we went to the court dates in regard to that because we didn't want, it seemed mm. that they were going to let him off or had empathy towards him. So we made sure by going to those court dates that we represented her family, that we spoke to the victim service advocate, that we went mm. and talked with the county attorney's office in Hennepin County as well, because we weren't, we weren't going to settle for that. Mm. This person had serious issues and need, needed to be locked up for the rest of his entire life. And we wanted to be sure of that. This can't keep happening to women and girls around us. This cannot. While we're in the middle of grieving, I'm pregnant. I'm going to all her court, all the court dates for her as well in a whole nother county. Just to be sure, just to be sure that nothing gets dropped, no balls got dropped. And in that moment, regardless of the pain that I was going through, I stood up. I had no choice. It wasn't, it was part of my grieving process. I had to. I had to speak to that. I had to be able to speak for the voices that were not able to speak for themselves. I had to. I wouldn't have been able to do anything, move forward, be able to be involved or be effective over here in another county with another trial. I couldn't do that. It just it did not seem like right. I had to combine the two. We had to put that pain into passion, regardless of whose daughter it was. She was somebody's daughter and her life mattered. To hear the second part of our conversation, visit camojfm.com. Disruptive Narratives is a production of Camo J Radio and Ampers. 
diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Hosted by Dr. Brittany Lewis. Produced by Miranda Wilson. Edited by Abdi Muhammad. Music by Jerome Rankin. <laughs>